Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. We are studying through the book of Ephesians. We've been going through uh, the first three chapters. We are in chapter four of the book of Ephesians now. It's nicely divided into three sections. There's the section on sitting, learning how to walk, and then learning how to stand. Sitting is how do I rest and receive and hear from God? I need to receive and hear from God some important truths, things such as I am his child. I've been adopted into his family. I have been forgiven. I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have been given his grace, even though I did not deserve it. God has blessed me immensely, and I just need to sit and receive and hear from him. And then, after I have received and heard and learned from him, now it's time to stand up and start walking. Walking out this journey of life that we are all on, walking in his grace, walking with him every step of the way. In Ephesians chapter 4, we get the context of verse. It's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And here is the context. Paul says these words, therefore... Now, the word therefore, the reason it's there is because of everything he has previously said. Paul said, you've been forgiven, you've been sealed, you've been accepted, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, you've been given that Holy Spirit. You can look forward to eternity with him because of that. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, uh, he says, I, well, I, okay, come on. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you... To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we're called. So, because you've received Jesus, because you've sat in him, because you've rested in him, because you understand who you are in Christ, now therefore, walk worthy of him. Your life should be different. You cannot walk the same as you've always walked, being the same person that you've always been. Walk worthy of that calling. What is that going to look like? Well, with complete humility and gentleness and patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That is the context of chapter four and everything else is about walking worthy of him. Today we find ourselves in verse 25 through the end of the chapter. And last week we started what I would refer to as part one of this two-part section where we are focused in on what this is going to look like. Here's what we're going to find in this section, verses 25 through 32. Paul writes this, So lay aside lying, each one of you, and speak truth with his neighbor. Now that is a quote out of the book of Zechariah. It is a quote uh, from Zechariah chapter 8. Speak truth, for we are members of one another. In other words, we have an effect upon each other, so don't lie. Be angry. 
which is okay to have the emotion of anger, but do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give the devil a foothold. The one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must work, doing something useful with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of others according to the need, so that it gives grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and anger and rage and anger and quarreling and slander along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Messiah also forgave you. Titled the message today, Stop Tearing Others Down. Let's pray and get into God's word. Father, it is was so well sung and well said that more than anything, we need Jesus. So give me Jesus. Above all else, we could gain the whole world, yet what will that profit us if we lose our soul? We need you more than anything. I pray, Lord, that you would shift the priorities in our lives from selfishness and self-focus and what we can achieve to you, putting you first in all things, in all situations. Lord, as we open your word today and talk through your word, may it not be my words, but your words. May it not be my truth, but your truth. Lord, may you speak to us the things that we need to hear. I want to pray, Father, specifically for those who have either felt torn apart and crushed by others or those who are crushing others with the words that they use. Help us to take this personally, Lord, where we no longer want to let anything harmful or destructive proceed out of our mouths, but only what's going to help and build others up for your kingdom's sake. Show us your truth. Teach us now in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last week we started part the, this two-part series or two-part mini-series in the midst of this entire series where we were focusing on just these verses, verses 25 through 32. Now, last week I gave you the four points that we are going to be covering. Now, last week we covered the first two. Today we'll cover the final two. The first two, respond with truth. Resolve your anger. The final two, review your words and reconsider your responses. Let's look again at what we covered last week. First, we covered with responding with truth. Paul writes this, so lay aside lying and each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why would we do that? Well, because we are members of one another. We affect each other. And so we need to start being truthful. God values truth. He wants us to speak the truth, but we are going to speak that truth in love. Instead of telling people what we think they want to hear, we start telling people what they need to hear. Instead of lying about our emotions, our thoughts, what is going on, we're going to speak the truth to each other because we have an impact upon each other. We affect each other. So Paul values and wants us to speak the truth one to another because we are members of one another. God values truth and he wants us to speak the truth, respond with truth in our lives. The second thing we talked about last week was not just responding truth. We need to resolve our anger. Anger is a very important topic that many of us are affected by. 
Anger, Paul says, it's okay. Be angry, yet do not sin. That's the line. This is the line in the sand that we are going to be looking at. You can be angry, yet do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give the devil a foothold. When you don't deal with your anger, you give Satan a foothold, a doorway into your life. He will affect you. He'll affect your relationships. He will destroy things in your life if you let him, if you give him a foothold. One of the biggest foothold areas that we have is our anger that needs to be resolved. Now, notice all of these things are really issues of the heart. I want to fix your heart, God says. I want to deal with your heart so that you can effectively walk through this journey of life. Lying starts in the heart. Anger starts in the heart. Stealing starts in the heart. The words that we say, we're going to learn, start in the heart. Paul says, you can be angry, but do not sin. Don't cross the line. Don't give, this, uh, give Satan a, a foothold in your life. Now, last week, what we looked at with this were all of the levels and the ways that anger works. If you were not here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to this because it's important as we talked about what the Bible says about anger. Anger starts with what I would call level one in the Bible. Now, the word anger, the Greek word is the word orge, and it means just the natural emotion. This is the line in the sand. It's the line that we are not to cross. Paul says, be angry. That's this word. It's okay to feel the emotion. But when you feel that emotion, resolve it. Work through it. Deal with it. Be reconciled. Be restored. Speak the truth. Deal with your emotions. Forgive who you need to forgive. Own it. Speak to God about it. And resolve it at that point. The problem is most people don't do that. And they turn it into what is next on the list, which is level two. Level two is the Greek word parakismos. Paul says, be angry, yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on level two, which is shoving it down, stuffing it down. Anger that is stuffed is paragosmos. It is seething, churning, under the surface, stuffed anger. It's anger that I've never dealt with and I've just shoved it down and repressed it. That anger is like eating away at the inside of me, churning around, bubbling, toxic, poisonous. That anger doesn't say stuff forever. That kind of anger turns into either rage, wrath, bitterness, or it can turn into depression. This is the root of where most depression comes from is that anger that's never been resolved that gets shoved down and is eating away at the inside. I don't know what to do with it and it turns into deep-seated depression for me. Level two, I stuff it. Level three, I blow up. The Greek word is thumos. It's where we get our word thermal, thermal reactions, an explosive reaction. I blow up. It's like the volcano explodes and I erupt and I toss uh, lava all over everybody. 
and it's painful and it's destructive and it destroys everything. And then I still don't deal with it and it turns into a deep-seated bitterness poison that I am filled with from the inside. Paul says, you can be angry, but don't sin. Resolve it, fix it, deal with it, forgive it, let it go. Whatever needs to happen, stop it. I love, again, the video, because that's it. Just stop it. And I know you can't just stop it. You've got to figure out why is it there? Where does it come from? How do I resolve this, God? I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to be different. Well, that leads us to the result of having that anger and not dealing with it. And that's what Paul says. If you don't get a handle on your anger, you will give the devil a foothold. He will get his foot in the door and he will start taking ground in your life. And he will, again, destroy you and destroy the people around you. You're an angry man. And that anger may be really damaging your wife and your kids. You're an angry woman. And that may be damaging your husband and your kids. Angry kids damage the rest of the family, their siblings. You can't let anger have its way. Because if you do, Satan will have a foothold. Let's go on to number three. And this is where we are going to camp for most of the time today. And we'll, we'll wrap it up with the number four, but that'll be pretty quick. Number three, in our list of things, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, is to then review your words. Again, all of these are heart issues. Lying comes out of the heart. Re- anger comes out of the heart. My words, as Jesus says, are originated in my heart. God wants to fix my heart so that I'm different as I walk through this life. Here's what Paul writes. Let's look at it again. He starts with this thought. The one who steals, where does that come from? It's really originating out of my heart, must steal no longer. Instead, he must work, doing something useful with his own hands. What he's talking about is a willful laziness. I could work, I just don't want to work because I'm lazy. And so I will take and I will steal so that I don't have to work. Well, that's what he's talking about. No, have purpose, have meaning, do something useful with your life. The one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must work, doing something useful with his own hands. Now, there are times in life that people can't work. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who can, who willfully choose to steal and take rather than contribute and have purpose. Do something useful with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. Let's just kind of box that one out. That's a separate thought. Again, it's a hard issue, and and it's pretty self-explanatory. Let's go to the words. Then he says this. Let no harmful word come out of your mouth. Let, Let me notice this word. Let me circle this word, let. If you have a Bible and you take notes in the Bible, you write in your Bible... Every time you see that word let, circle it. Let is a command. It is a direction from God to us. He's not making this as a suggestion. Paul didn't say, well, I suggest that you don't let harmful words. No, the word let is is communicating. This is a command of God. Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial. For building others up according to the need 
so that it gives grace to those who hear it. We're going to look at the definitions of this, but we're going to look at four ideas that come out of this, of things that Paul just said in that one sentence summarizing that page. But let me give you, in a nutshell, what Paul is simply saying. He's saying, do not share words that tear down and destroy. Only share what will help build others up. Now, I have a little illustration. You may wonder, what are the blocks up here for? Well, let me give you just a little bit of an illustration of how this works. So, let's say this. Let's say we go and volunteer in the nursery. That would be a huge step of faith for many of you to do that. But let's just make that assumption. We're going to go help in the nursery. In the nursery, you have a couple of toddlers, two-year-olds. Isn't that such a great age, two-year-olds? They are so selfless, and they're so kind, and they're so giving, and they're so loving. No, that's not the case at all. They're, they're almost like the worst. They're, they're, that's almost what it is. The only thing worse than that is a teenager. That's the only thing worse than a toddler. Going to the, the nursery... There are a couple of two-year-olds, and they're there, and one of them has blocks, and they're building something with their blocks, and they, they put their blocks out, and they're building a little, little structure for themselves, and they love stacking blocks. In fact, I can't, even, I can't even do this as good as a toddler would do, most likely, but they're, they're there, and they're having fun, and they're, they're building up their blocks, and they love building blocks, and the two-year-old builds this. And it's an amazing accomplishment what the two-year-old has actually done. And then another two-year-old sees the blocks and they walk over to it and they don't admire it and think, oh, this is great. I love the work that you, I love the symmetry and I love the way that you've created this. That's not what the two-year-old does. They either walk right through it and step through it or they just come and they just knock it off. And the one toddler who spent the time building this, they react so well. <laughs> they just look at it and they think, you know, no big deal. I'll just build it again. No, they start crying. They get angry. They get bitter. And they start plotting revenge. I'm going to get revenge <laughs> on this one who knocked my blocks down. Now, the revenge may not happen instantaneously, that person may have grown from two years old to 45 years old, and they're thinking in my mind, remember when you knocked my blocks down? <laughs> and they find their opportunity, I'm going to get revenge. And now they get revenge by slashing the tires on the other person's car, because you knocked my blocks down when we were in nursery when we were two. I was building up. And you just destroyed what I was building. Now, let's take this into the real world for us. You were a little child, and you were building up life. In fact, maybe you had some good things, some talents, some abilities that you had in your life. And you were excited. You had potential. Maybe you were even in school, and a teacher saw your potential. Maybe you did a project and you got a blue ribbon on the project that you did. Or maybe you got an A in class 
and you took that project home and you showed your parents, look what I did. I got an A. I got a blue ribbon. And your parents, your dad, your mom looked at that and said, you got an A for that? You got a blue ribbon for that? That's terrible. I have never seen such terrible work in my life. Look at you. Look at what you did, how you messed up that part. And essentially what they have done is taken what somebody built, knocked it down. Through the words that they spoke, they brought harm and destruction. In fact, they crushed you. Some of us had families that crushed us our entire growing up years. Others, it's not about when I was growing up. Maybe it was. Maybe I was crushed many times thinking I was doing something right, but in turn, it turns out I was defective and I was deficient and I was worthless and I can't believe how much of a mess and a screw-up I was. And you've carried those thoughts with you into adulthood and you still feel that way today because the blocks got constantly knocked over in your life. But maybe today you're married to a person who just absolutely walks through the blocks that you've built. Or maybe they purposely walk over and they just knock him down. Maybe you're married to a man like that. Maybe you're married to a woman like that. And they are just destructive. Instead of building you up, instead of feeling blessed, instead of feeling grace, you feel torn apart and torn down. And you feel defective and you feel worthless. And that's exactly what Paul is describing. Do not be the person who walks through and knocks people's blocks over. Instead, be someone who is there to build up. Let's talk about what this is. Let's start with the word, the first part of this. He says, let no harmful word. Don't let any harmful word. What is a harmful word? Well, the literal word in the Greek language is the word sapros. And it means rotten. Putrefied, corrupted, no longer fit for use, worn out, poor quality, bad, and worthless. You ever had food in your refrigerator that has gone bad? And I, I know everybody has. And you, maybe it's milk, you, you knew you had milk, you poured yourself a bowl of cereal, you're going to pour the milk on it, and what came out was lumps that came out of this. Well, that's putrid. That is rotten. No longer good for use. I remember my, I think it was my parents were down visiting us when Jennifer and I were early married in college. We were uh, at college and my parents came and visited. And my mom, for some unknown reason to any of us, likes buttermilk. I don't know if any of you are like that, that you like buttermilk, uh, but she liked buttermilk. And my sister-in-law, Jessica, who was a young kid at the time, came, saw the milk in the refrigerator, poured this big glass of milk, drank it, or maybe she even drank right out of the carton, and she took a big drink of this and thought, oh, this is awful. What? Something has gone wrong with your milk. That's what this is. That's putrefied. My mom, for some reason, likes putrefied milk and can't understand it. It's worthless. It's no good. It's corrupt. It's gone bad. 
So Paul says, don't speak putrid, rotten, corrupted words. Other versions of the Bible don't use harmful. The King James uses corrupt. So does the English Standard Version. The the, uh, NIV version uses unwholesome words. The, uh, the, the New Living Translation uses foul or abusive language. Don't let harmful, foul, abusive, harmful words proceed out of your mouth. Words that have the ability to come over to another person and just knock down everything in their life. Don't speak to people like that, he says. Instead, speak different. Now, the word harmful is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, he's talking about the heart, and he says this. Either make the tree, that's the heart, good, and its fruit good, or make the tree, the heart, rotten, and its fruit rotten. For the heart, the tree, is known by its fruit, Jesus confronts a bunch of Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where does all of this start? It starts in people's hearts. So fix the heart and it will fix the words because the words come out of the heart. The good man from his good treasury His good heart brings forth what is good. The evil man from his evil treasury brings forth evil. But I'm going to tell you something, he says. On the day of judgment, men will give an account for every careless, that is lazy, useless word that they have spoken. For by your words, you're going to be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Why does he say that? Well, he knows that the heart speaks out of it your words. And if your words are harmful and corrupt, there's a problem in your heart. And he wants to fix your heart. And unless your heart is right with God, you will be condemned. God wants to focus on the heart. That is the idea behind all of this. Whoops, what did I do here? Um, Hold on. There we go. Okay. I don't know what... Technology. Okay, let's keep going with this. Okay, go back to this. So here's what he says. Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, only what is beneficial. Now, again, notice these four things. No harmful word, only what is beneficial for the building up of others so that it gives grace to those who hear. Those are the four commands that Paul gives us in this. So let's talk about how do I do this? Well, let's look again at what he says, the four. Do not let harmful words out. That's the first one. Only speak what is helpful. That's the second. For the purpose of building others up, that's the third. That it gives grace and blesses, that's the fourth. Let's start with the first one. Don't let harmful words out. Now, there's two directions that this goes. Number one, toward God. There should be no harmful words spoken toward God. Nothing that would bring shame upon him in the way that you use his name. The other way that this goes is no harmful words toward others. So you have toward God and you have toward others. Let's start with the toward God part of this. What does that mean? No harmful words toward God. One of the most obvious ways that that works is not taking the Lord's name in vain. 
not using his name as a cuss word or a swear adjective, using his name in the appropriate way that will not dishonor him. People are guilty of this. A lot of people, even Christians, are guilty of using the Lord's name in a way that brings dishonor to him. Let me give you a story of this. This past Sunday, a week ago, my wife, Jennifer, took our grandson, Luke, who is seven, to the field of dreams where they had a, a, one of our relatives was having a baseball game. And so all of the family was there. So Jennifer was with little Luke and one of the other little cousins, and they were there playing at the playground. One of the little kids that was just milling around and playing came over, started playing with Luke and the other kids. And this kid, this little kid, said these words. He said, again, in a derogatory way, it's just habit probably, but he said, oh my God. Now, as a Christian, that bothers me. I, I don't like that when people use the Lord's name like that. But he said, oh my God. Luke, our little seven-year-old grandson, heard that happen. And Luke looked at this little boy and said, you can't say that. And the little boy said, say what? And Luke said, you, you can't say, oh my, and Luke wouldn't even say it. You can't say this. And the little kid said, what? I can't say, oh my God? And then the little kid kind of mocked Luke and started saying it on purpose, oh my God, and would say it in a sarcastic way. Now Luke was on the little spider webby looking plaything on the playground equipment, the, the one you climb up on the ropes, um, and he was on there and he climbed up a little bit higher and he started shaking the ropes as hard as he could, little seven-year-old. All of the other kids noticed it, like, what's going on here? He started shaking the ropes and little Luke said, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. <laughs> All of the kids were like, what is going on? And the little boy who had originated all of this just said, Okay. <laughs> now, I was super proud of Luke for doing that. I really was. And I was really proud of um, the, the, his mom and, and really especially the grandparents. I was really proud of them <laughs> because we have instilled in him principles of life that a seven-year-old would care. Don't let harmful words out toward God. Do not use the Lord's name in a way that would dishonor him. Whether it's using his name as an adjective, when people use that name in that way, that irritates me greatly. So don't, if you don't want to irritate me, please don't do that. But you should, that should bother your heart and your conscience when you hear that. The other way is toward others. Don't let harmful words out toward others. Again, what is the harmful words? Rotten, putrid, things that are just tearing them down. What would that look like? Well, lies, anger, venom, ugliness, piercing words, destructive words, words of shame. See, see what are words of shame? Shame is this message. Something about you is deficient, defective, and worthless. 
and we communicate to each other like that all the time. In the book of James, it says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are image bearers made in the image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. What is he saying? He's saying the person you are talking to is an image bearer of God. I have been, I'm not a confrontational person. Many of you know that about me. I'm just not a confrontational. I'm not built that way. There have been two times in my life that I can remember, though, getting really angry and getting in somebody's face. And those two times both happened because someone in my family was attacked. There was one time I remember that somebody really was attacking my wife, and I got in that person's face and got aggressive with them, not to the point that I think that I got angry enough that I was sinning, but you will not talk to my wife like that. Another time that I remember distinctly was when somebody was talking to my son. They were talking to my son like that. And I was in the car waiting for him after a baseball game. And I saw this coach reprimanding and talking to him in a way that I did not approve of. And I got out of the car, marched up, got in the coach's face. And really, it was pretty confrontational. I'm not a confrontational person. But you talk to my wife, you talk to one of my children in that way, and I will intervene. Put yourself in God's shoes. When you talk to another, you're talking to his child. How would you feel if someone talked to you, or I'm sorry, someone talked to your son or daughter the way that you talk to somebody else? Let's put it in the context of marriage. Husbands, if someone talked to your daughter the way that you talk to your wife, how would you feel about it? Wives, if someone talked to your child the way that you're talking to your husband, how would you feel about that? Most people, it would irritate them completely to the point that they're going to jump into action, and I will not tolerate this. You don't talk to my child like that. When you talk to your wife, guys, you're talking to the child of God, an image bearer of the almighty king of kings. That's who you're talking to. So when you talk in a way that is bringing destruction on a child of God, do you think it's going to anger God? Wives, when you talk to your husband and you emasculate them and you tear them down, not only to their face, but to your friends, how do you think God feels about that? Because you're talking about his child in that way. God steps in. When you're talking to anyone you are talking to somebody created in the image of God. So Paul says this, do not let words that crush, that harm, that destroy, that are rotten, that are putrid come out of your mouth because that's not who you are supposed to be. 
when you talk to your wife, when you talk to your children, when you talk to your husband, when you talk to coworkers and people at work, when you talk to a stranger on the street, you're talking to somebody who's created in the image of God. Whether they've received it or not, who knows? It doesn't matter about them. It matters about you. You talk to them in a way that does not bring harm. Second thing he says is this, only speak what is helpful. Ask yourself this question, are the words that are coming out meant to help or are they meant to harm? I cannot tell you over the 25 years of marriage, count, uh, marriage, I've been married longer than that, 25 years of marriage counseling as part of the church, as part of ministry, 25 years, how many marriages that I have seen that are on the verge of destruction all because of the way they treat each other. They talk to each other with harm, and they are not speaking anything that's helpful. My words are not meant to help you. My words are to shame you and to tear you down and to destroy you so that I get my way. That's essentially what it is. And you could try to argue and justify something else. There's no argument and justification. The words that are coming out are not meant to help. They are meant to destroy Paul says, only speak what is helpful. Ask yourself this question as you're communicating. Are the words that are coming out of my mouth there to help? And then he says the third thing, for the purpose of building them up. When we get to, to marriage in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how marriage went wrong. The curse of marriage was this, so that one person could be in authority over the other and push the other person down. That's what evil authority does. It pushes down. It destroys. It forces down into subjection. That's not what marriage is supposed to be. God is going to say marriage is to build each other up. You come underneath the other person. You help them. You support them. You build them up to make them better in life. The word build is the word edifying where we get our word edification. It's one who has the other's best interest at heart for the purpose of helping them to be better in their relationship with Jesus. Now, I make fun of Grant. We became a year ago, a, we went from a non-hugging church to a hugging church one year ago today that we could celebrate that. But one of the things about Grant that I love more than anything else is that he is edifying what does that mean? He, when you leave being in his presence, you feel better. Not all the time. Most of the time you do. You feel better because you feel like I have been lifted up. I have been built up. That's how every conversation should be, especially in your home, that you feel lifted and better as a result of it. Finally, he says, why would I do this? So that it gives grace. You become a blessing to others and not a curse. People seek after the blessing. We want that blessing. We all crave that blessing. We don't want to be torn apart, destroyed, and crushed. We want to be blessed and built up. I can't control whether other people do that, but I can control what I do and what comes out of me in the same way you can for yourself. 
I can't control what my wife says, what, what my husband says. I can't control what they do, how my kids respond, but I can control me, and I want to give grace. I want to be, it's like giving seasoning to something. I want to I pour out grace, sprinkle grace everywhere so that people feel that blessing, whether it's in your home, at work, at school, or interacting wherever you go, be a person who is seasoned with grace. Finally, let's look at what he closes with. Um, he closes with, these, with this thought, reconsider your responses. We're going to close quickly with this because it's a very simple statement. Here's what Paul says in wrapping up chapter 4. Bottom line is this, he says, do not grieve God. Well, what is grieve? Well, that is, don't make God sad. Don't hurt God's heart. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I want you to keep that thought in the back of your mind as you go about this week. As you're going about the week, have in the back of your mind, am I grieving God? Would God come to me after I've talked to my wife, talked to my kids, would he come to me and say, good job, I'm proud of you? Or would he say, would he get in my face and say, what are you doing? This is my child. How dare you talk to them like that? Don't grieve God. Keep it in the back of your mind. Am I grieving God with what I'm doing? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, quarreling, slander, along with all malice. Again, what are those? Those are hard issues. Get rid of the problems that are going on in your heart. Deal with your heart. Fix your heart. Get rid of those things. Instead, and this is the final thought he has, be kind to one another. Compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Just as God forgave you. Two ideas with all of this. Everything we have, heart issues, deal with the lying, deal with the anger, deal with the stealing, deal with the words coming out of your mouth, boils down to two things. Don't grieve God and be kind. These are elementary, not even elementary. These are preschool, not even preschool. These are nursery ideas. Don't grieve God, be kind to each other. How simple is that? And yet, how difficult do we make it? Are you that person? I'm making God happy, or at least I'm trying to. I'm talking to people that he's created in his image as fellow sons and daughters. I'm not going to hold a grudge against them. I'm going to forgive them because God forgave me. If I can't forgive them, how can I expect him to forgive me? I want to be kind and I want to be forgiving because that's what God has called me to do. I hope that is you, that you are a person who builds up rather than tears down, a person who gives grace to everyone you're around, a person who blesses and does not curse, a person who does not grieve God. And God would say, well done. I am so proud of you. A person who's kind. A person who's compassionate. And a person who's forgiving. Because God has forgiven me. 
Let's pray as we close. Father God, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. Lord, these are not hard concepts. These do not take deep thinking and deep theology. This boils down to a couple of things. Are you in our heart? Have we surrendered to you and allowed you to fix our hearts? And are we letting the love of Christ pour out of us as we interact with others? For every marriage out there, Lord, that is full of problems, I pray, Father, that you'd restore them by helping them to start being kind to each other, to look for opportunities to build the other person up rather than tear them down. Instead of looking at every fault, find every thing that's right. Lord, I pray that you would deal with our, our heart issues and that we would, going forward, make a decision, I just don't want to grieve God. Help me not to break God's heart. Help me to make him proud. Not because I'm trying to earn his favor, but because he's my father and I want to make my dad proud. Help us to be kind and compassionate and forgiving and to treat each other with the grace that you want us to do. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Bless everyone as they leave and help them to be an encouragement in this community in a time such as this. We thank you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. I hope you'll be back here with us next week as we get into the next part about being imitators of God. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.